Amen. <clears throat> uh, let's just go to the Lord in prayer again. Father in heaven, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we come and uh, prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the one that we love. And we ask that that you would never let that happen, that you would always pull us back. I just think of the psalmist who said, there's one thing that I long for, and that is to dwell in your presence, to gaze upon your beauty. Uh, Lord, we come in weakness this morning. I come in weakness this morning. And we come seeking your strength. Holy Spirit, would you, would you speak now? Would you make much of Jesus? Would you transform us by this precious word that you've given to us? We pray these things in Jesus' name. It's Jesus' glory that we seek. Amen. All right, well, I, I, I want to try something. Heyman. Okay, all right. So you're well-trained. This is actually a really good illustration for what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking a little bit about training. We're going to be talking about discipline. Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. This year, our, our theme, what was our theme for last year? Eyes fixed on Jesus. Okay, good, good. Another illustration for training. Our theme going into 2024, does anybody know what it is? Yeah, yeah, so live wisely. Pursue wise living through Christ. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about discipline, pursuing wise living through spiritual disciplines. And that's about practicing wise living. Next week, we're going to hear from Pastor Kyle, and he's going to be talking about family discipleship. So pursue wise living through family discipleship. So this week, we're going to talk about practicing wise living. Next week, we're going to hear about teaching wise living and passing that on. And I hope that it is very obvious to all of us that discipline is wise. Is discipline wise? Yes, discipline is wise. Discipline really is just control or regulation. And it's control and regulation for a specific outcome. Uh, parental discipline is control or regulation of children by parents for an outcome. Amen? Amen and amen and amen. Uh, Self-discipline is control or regulation by the self for an outcome. And uh, this is... This is really basic. There's, there's no uh, mystery here. Anybody, uh, anybody a musician? Anybody into art or anything like that? Artists here? Okay, good. How about athletes? Some are going like this. That's okay. If you're going like this, then you're thinking about it. You're an athlete. How about academics? Okay, is there anything I'm missing? There's a reason that we, there's, 
did someone say boo? Oh, food. Okay, who's into food? Okay, all right, great. Fantastic. There's a reason that when we start talking about these things, we're actually talking about human disciplines. There's a whole bunch of human disciplines that affect our lives. And uh, no one is actually born good. Now, before we start talking about prodigies, uh, they're born better, but they're not born good. They still have to practice. They still have to work at it. And there's lots of distractions. There's lots of things that prevent us from getting better. Things that try to sidetrack us. Things within us, things without us. And then sometimes we just have enemies that just want to sabotage everything that we do. So we must practice. And in order to practice, in order to train to get better, we have to employ something called discipline. discipline. We have to employ something called discipline. And spiritual discipline is the same. Nobody is born good. Romans 3 says so. No one's born good. And there's lots of distractions. There are distractions from within us. There are distractions from without us. And we do have enemies, enemies of our souls who do not want us growing spiritually and do not want us growing toward God. And so we need to practice, we need to train in order to get better, in order to improve our spiritual fitness. So the call to discipline, which is a wise call, is a call to practice something. And success or proficiency requires practice. It requires that discipline. It requires regulation. Do we have any Austrian school economists here? We don't always love regulation, do we? We don't have any? Nobody knows what I'm talking about. Okay, fair enough. On we go. So it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty obvious, this whole idea of discipline and practice. We've all been there. The problem for us, I think, is not is not that we don't know that we need to discipline and train, and it's not that we don't know what to do. If I asked you about spiritual disciplines, you guys could start naming a bunch of spirit. Let me do it. What are some spiritual disciplines? Prayer. Prayer. What else? Bible study. Bible study. What else? Fasting. Fasting. What else? Okay, forgiveness, love, worship, friendship. Okay, we're going through a whole bunch of these things. It's not that we don't know what to do, but I bet you, and I can't put a percentage on it, so I won't try. Anyway, 87% of stats are made up on the spot anyway, but I bet you when we see something, we see a message coming up about spiritual disciplines, we're going, oh great, I'm going to learn about spiritual disciplines and how to practice them. Guess what? You don't need that. You don't need that. Because if you want to know enough, you'll jump on Google and you'll ask Google. (laughs) And you'll find articles by theologians and you'll find articles by people much smarter than me to talk to you about spiritual disciplines. So we're going to talk a little bit about spiritual disciplines, but the problem is actually doing them. The problem is actually the practice, right? Discipline is hard. Discipline is hard. So that's what we're going to talk about. The problem with with discipline is doing, and that's actually a vision problem. And it's actually a memory problem. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Vision and memory. Do we have any ophthalmologists? There we go. In the the house today? Okay, because I'm not talking about that stuff. 
Okay, so why do we discipline ourselves? Why do we train? What are we actually training? When we practice the spiritual disciplines, what are we actually training? And, and why do we need such discipline? And then how do we actually effectively discipline ourselves? So you can write this down. The call to discipline is actually the call to practice the presence of God by the power of God. Have you thought about it that way before? Okay, so say it with me. The call to discipline is the call to practice the presence of God by the power of God. Say that one more time. The call to discipline is the call to practice the presence of God by the power of God. Now, one time without me. The call to And what did we just do? We just practiced. We just practiced knowing something. Was there communion this morning? Did I miss it? That was a communion cup. Okay, so let's read 1 Timothy 4. We'll start in verse 1 here. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life, and also the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So why, why discipline, why training? So verse 1 says that people are going to leave the faith. Some people are just going to leave the faith. Now the, verse 1, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith. And the reason they're going to depart from the faith is because they're going to devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. They're going to devote themselves to liars and their lies. And if we don't know how to discern untruth from truth, if we're not disciplined and trained in truth, then we're sitting ducks. Paul, Paul is actually writing... Uh, against a group of people called the Gnostics. The word Gnostic comes from the Greek gnosis, which means knowledge. And so these Gnostics came along and they said, you know what? Man, there's that cup again. The Gnostics came along and they said, you know what? We know some things that you don't know. We have some secret knowledge. We know how to get to God. We know how to get to fulfillment. We know how to get to self-satisfaction. It's not that stuff that you've been 
taught. It's not that Bible stuff. It's not that Christian stuff. Don't you know that all religion does is start wars? We know the secret. And there were two kind of sects of Gnostics. Some said the secret is, so they all said, the problem is that the material is evil and the spiritual is good. But some said, so what we do with that is we just go and we just live for today. We live in licentiousness. We, we pursue sensuality because the material is evil anyway and it doesn't matter. Those aren't the ones that Paul's writing against here. He's writing to a different group. And I think most of us would say, yeah, you know what? Casting off restraint doesn't really smack of godliness to me. So maybe this next group is actually a group that is more dangerous to us. And Paul was writing to Timothy about this group. The next group says, the secret is discipline. Hyper-discipline. The secret to enlightenment, the secret to God-likeness, the secret to satisfaction. Ready for this? Asceticism. You take that bad material and you discipline you discipline 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 it out and that's what makes you good that's what makes you godlike that's what makes you satisfied that's what makes you whatever it is that you're pursuing but these are lies We can actually practice discipline and find no virtue in it whatsoever. Okay, so verse 1. We practice discipline because some are going to leave, and we don't want to leave. We don't want to fall into devotion to lies and liars. And look at verse 6. He says, if you put these things before the brothers, and this is a whole list of things, Paul starts off the letter basically with a charge to Timothy, make sure that people are teaching solid, sound doctrine. Make sure of it. So that they don't fall prey to these lies and liars. And then he goes and says, and you know what? I want everybody to pray. Pray to the God who has the power to preserve you. And then he has a whole list of things. Here's how you ought to behave in the household of God. All right? So he says, put those things before the brothers, and you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Anybody want to be a good servant of Christ Jesus? Okay. Being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So trained there is actually comes from a word that means nourished. Okay? So all of these things that, that, uh, that Paul is teaching is, are things that nourish uh, the people. Okay? in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. And then look at verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Have nothing to do with them. So all that stuff that those guys are teaching have nothing to do with them at all. Okay? And there's lots of stuff floating around today. Things that are trying to lure us away from the truth and trying to entice us with other things. Trying to entice us with the idea that there is something in this life that will satisfy you ultimately have nothing to do with these irreverent, silly myths, but rather, what does it say? Rather, 
train yourself for godliness, okay? Here's where we'll get excited. What does it say? Train yourself for godliness. What does it say? One more time. Okay, now, look at yourself and say, self, train yourself for godliness. Okay, now look at your neighbor and say, train yourself for godliness. Okay, we're sort of trying to train preaching right now, preaching the truth. You got to train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. How many of you train your body for fitness? All right, mm, mm. I see that. I see that. Do you train intensely or do you just go through the motions? Some of you are like, ah, don't bother. Don't bother. If you're just going through the motions, it actually, so science tells us if you're just going through the motions, you jump at the, the pull-up bar and you're just going like this and there's no weight on it, you're wasting your time. There's no value in it. Your muscles, you're not triggering muscle growth at all. You gotta train intense. You gotta get there. You gotta, in fact, if you, if this is not weight training 101 or whatever, but if you get under heavy weight and you push it and you get to failure in four to six reps, one set is enough to stimulate muscle growth. It's about intensity. You're not playing games. You're not playing house, right? And this, this is, this is, this is what we need to adopt in some ways when it comes to our spiritual lives. Train there is a different word than what we have in verse 6. It's actually the word that we get the uh, gymnasium from. And it's about full effort, intense, full discipline for top condition. And it's brought about by constant, rigorous training. So training for godliness, it is not, this is not a game. This life is not a game. It is literally life and death. And if you, get under the, if you get under the bench press of life and there's no weight on it and you're just like, and then you jump out, you pull out your phone, take a selfie, right? Like nobody's impressed that there's no weight on that bench press, right? That's not what you see on Instagram. You see some dude standing there and there are four plates on each side. We have no idea if he actually moved that, but that's what the picture is, right? Training is about intensity, how much more training for godliness? Okay, so godliness there, what does that mean? Train yourself for godliness. What does that actually mean? Well, godliness is godlikeness. We're not talking about being omniscient or omnipotent or omnipotent or omnipresent. Those things are gods. Those are things that only God possesses. Okay? But we're actually called as image bearers of God to reflect him to the world. So what that means is character. We reflect the character of God. The fruit of the Spirit. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Okay, I'm glad some of you know them. You gotta know that stuff. How, how else are you gonna, how else are you gonna look to, to have that develop and build in you if you don't know that stuff? You don't even know what you're called to. We gotta get more intense in our study. Fruit of the Spirit. By the way, self-control, the very last one. That's discipline right there. Self-control is discipline. 
So God-likeness, reflecting God, building the character of God, and and that requires devotion and discipline, self-control. And then he goes on and he says, rather train yourself for godliness. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Notice, Notice the valuation there. There's an investment that's required for sure, but what's the outcome of that investment? So physical training has some value. By the way, when I hear people say, hey, you know what, I don't, I don't, I don't worry about my health because physical training is no, no value, the Bible says so. That's not what it says. It says, look at it, while bodily training is of some value, there is some value, but it's limited value. It has value here. Value for health, value maybe for career, depending on what you do. Value maybe for finding a spouse. There's some value, but there's no value once this life is over. We invest so much time and so much money and so much effort into our physical world. And it has some value, but not when this life is over. And then he goes and says, but godliness is of value every way. Look at verse 8 there. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So spiritual training is valuable to us because godliness is valuable in this life. It's valuable in our relationships. It's valuable in our work. It's valuable in our walk with the Lord. It's also of value eternally speaking. We were not created to die. Did you know that? We were actually created for immortality. We were created to live forever. And if that's not true, then how come funerals never get easier? If death is just a natural part of life, then how come it always is terrible? We invest in this life, and we need to be investing more in the next life. That is wisdom. So training for godliness is wisdom. Because some leave Jesus, and we don't want to be that, because we weren't created to die. We were created to live forever. And we don't want to leave Jesus for lies, and there's lots of lies in the world, isn't there? Aren't there, I suppose, I should say. Lots of lies. You know what the biggest one is? Or maybe the biggest one, one of the biggest ones? I haven't actually thought that through. One of the biggest ones is that there's nothing better than this. There is nothing better than this. Something here in this world will satisfy you. You just got to find it. There is nothing temporal that will satisfy. There is nothing finite that will satisfy the infinite. There is nothing mortal that will satisfy the immortal. So we practice these spiritual disciplines because we are what? Training ourselves for godliness. Okay, do we need to do this again? (laughs) Rather, train yourself for godliness. Am I boring? Rather, train yourself for godliness. Okay, good. By the way, what text are we in? Good, okay, all right. All right, but there's a temptation in, there's a temptation in these spiritual disciplines, okay? And here's, and here's where things start to get interesting for us. There's a temptation that we start to work for our salvation. 
We practice the spiritual disciplines in order to earn God-likeness so that we earn life and we feel that we're entitled to, to life, right? In other words, we practice the spiritual disciplines to become like God. So here's how it looks. Here's a bunch of spiritual disciplines. Bible, right? Bible reading, Bible study, Bible meditation, Bible memorization, so that I know the right things like God does, okay? I started reading the Bible in my late teens because I went like this. If the Bible's God's word, then everything in it is true. If I know it better than everybody else, I'll always be right and win every argument. Okay, prayer. Sometimes we can practice prayer so that God will give me what I want. Sometimes we practice silence and fasting and chastity and simplicity and generosity so that I'm as impressive as God. And then we practice fellowship so that everybody can see it. Right? The spiritual disciplines are practices, not attitudes. And hopefully they are practices that produce attitudes that are pleasing to the Lord. But sometimes we practice them as though they are ends in and of themselves and not means to an end. Okay, so we don't want that. That's, that's the great error of the Pharisees. They thought that they were godly because of their discipline. That's not why we practice spiritual disciplines. That's not what it means to train ourselves for godliness. Sorry, that's not what it means to... Train ourselves for godliness. Okay. Okay. So motivation actually really matters. And Matthew, Matthew 7 tells us that uh, there are going to be many who come in the end and they say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all of these things in your name? We cast out demons. We performed miracles all in your name. And then in Matthew 7, at the end there, Jesus says what? I never yeah, he says, but I never knew you. We didn't have a relationship. You did all of this stuff. And I never knew you. And then he says, and it's heartbreaking, depart from me, go away. You who practice lawlessness. It's possible to, to do all kinds of good things and still be a lawbreaker because we forgot the greatest law. So motivation matters. We don't practice spiritual disciplines to earn God's favor or to earn human favor. Let's do a little men mental inventory. Am I trying to earn God's favor? Am I trying to help God with, with my salvation? Am I trying to pay him back? Am I trying to... Or, or, or am, I, am I trying to earn human favor? Am I trying to... Is there somebody that I really want to please or impress and is that why I'm wanting godliness, or, or maybe I'm trying to earn self-favor. The world so much presses into us this idea of self-esteem. The problem with the world is just that we just don't love, each, love ourselves enough. Our children, the problem with our children is they just need a, a boost to their self-esteem. So am I trying to earn self-favor, feel okay about myself? We'll never find that in doing better or trying harder. Maybe, I'm, maybe I like the disciplines because I'm trying to earn wealth so that, I can, so that I can build my own kingdom, 
so that I can worship myself whenever I want by just getting whatever I want, however I want it? Or is our motivation because we want to produce godliness in relationship with God in step with the Spirit? There's a big difference. And at this point, we encounter two problems. We encounter two problems. One is a separation problem. It's actually not enough for us to be like God. We hear all the time, what do, want, what do you want most? And particularly spiritual people will say something like this, I just want to be like Jesus. And that's good. That's a good thing, but it's not enough. It's not enough to be like Jesus. Imagine this. Imagine you could be like Jesus, and at the end, Jesus says, I don't want anything to do with you. I never knew you. But we're like you. It's possible to kind of be like him without actually being with him. So it's not enough to be like God. Being like God actually serves a greater purpose. Being like God actually serves this purpose. You ready? Ready? Being with God. Being like God is about being with God. It serves the purpose of being with God. The chief end of man Have you heard this before? Westminster Confession of Faith. Chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So to glorify God, we get that part. But the part about enjoying him forever, and John Piper, I love what he's done with uh, Westminster here, just in in this spot. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. That's the testimony of Scripture. Being with God is where there is joy infinite, right? That's our purpose. We were actually created for God, and not just to do things for God, but to be with God. We were created to be with God. Micah 6, 8. I think it'll come up on the screen here. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly with your God. But, but what about the glorifying God part? I just, I just want to focus on that. I just want to glorify God. Okay. Well, we glorify him when we're satisfied in him, so we're glorified, we glorify him when we're with him. Uh, but John, John 15, 8, Jesus says this, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So there's a relational element right there, right? Proving to be Jesus' disciple, following along with him, doing things with him, and then bearing the fruit of that relationship So being like God is actually about being with God. It's not enough to just be like God. It's actually not even possible to truly be like God without being with him. But we've got this separation, this, we've got this separation problem, okay? Um, all, of, all of the wisdom literature in the Bible, okay? What are the, what are the wisdom books? Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, okay? Those are the wisdom books. Do you, think there would be, do you think there would be a clue in the wisdom literature about wise living? A clue in the wisdom literature about wise living. Okay, so here's what's crazy about this. Every single one of them, the grand synopsis of the book or the summary statement of all those books, you know what it is? Ready? Ready? Okay, five books all in one. Trust God. 
Just trust God. That's what all of them actually point to. For Job, it's this idea of like, trust, can, can a man trust God without any evidence of his goodness, without, without any material evidence of his goodness? And Job says this, though he slay me, yet will I trust him, okay? The Psalms, books, there's five books in the Psalms, okay? The, the first three books are basically about lament and distress, so God gives us a voice to lament and to express our distress to the Lord. And then books four and five basically says this. God reigns, he hears, he cares, he provides. He is faithful. You can trust him. And then we get to Proverbs. Last week, uh, Pastor John talked about uh, Proverbs 9 verse 10. The fear of God is actually the beginning of wisdom. So how do we get wisdom? Well, start fearing God. And now you're actually in the beginning of wisdom, right? And Proverbs 22, 21 says this, incline your ear, hear the words of the wise, apply your heart to knowledge that your trust may be in the Lord. It's all about trust. Fear, fearing God, is actually very close to trusting God. Very close. In other words, if I fear God, I trust that, what, that he is who he says he is. He's strong. Okay? I also trust that he's going to do exactly what he says he will do. He will chasten his kids. He will discipline us. He will punish for our good so that we can, what? Be with him. Okay? So fear is very close to trust. And then Ecclesiastes 12, 13, the very end. And this is what, when you look at wisdom literature, usually, especially when it's poetic, usually the, the big thing is at the end. The, 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 the sort of summary of everything is at the end. So Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says this. Fear God, so trust him. Who he, he is who he is, and he'll do what he says. And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And then Song of Solomon Right at the very end, chapter 8, I'll skip through all the juicy stuff. Right at, the very, right at the very end, we get this idea. Here's what it's about. It's about deep intimacy and solid commitment or faithfulness. That's commended by God. Why? Because that's how it's supposed to be. And that's what we were designed for. Not just in human relationship, but also in relationship with the Lord. Okay? So all of, the liter all of the wisdom literature points this idea of trusting God. It points this idea that we're actually supposed to be with Him. But we have a separation problem, which is why we can't be with Him unless we trust Him. And the whole rest of the Bible, the whole rest of the Bible is all about that separation problem and what God has done in Christ to bring us to Him again. That's the whole rest of the Bible. So you got all these historical books that basically say, here's what happened, here's the problem, here's what God's doing. So there's creation, there's fall, separation between humans and God, and then God just doing this work over and over and over and over again to redeem his people, to create a people. You get Israel from Abraham, and then through Israel the Messiah comes. Why? So that God's people can be uh, restored to relationship with God once again. It's all about being with him. And then you get the wisdom literature that says, hey guys, here's wisdom. Respond to God, trust him so you can be with him. And then you get the prophets after that who basically are saying, hey, come back to God. Come back to trusting God because they forgot and they turned away from him. They got sucked into lies pushed forth by liars. There's the whole Bible. We just went through the whole Bible this morning. Awesome, right? You thought you were gonna take a year to do that. So that's all it is. Noah, Abraham, Israel. The judges didn't work. The kings of Israel didn't work. 
It didn't fix the separation problem. Jesus comes, and God says to Joseph, you're going to call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Do you know what Jesus means? Healing one. He's going to heal the separation problem. He's going to heal the sin problem. He's also going to be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. He takes care of the separation problem. Lives a life of completely unbroken communion with God. Lives a life with God every moment. Because he didn't have a separation problem. He never sinned. And then he trusted God. He trusted his father to the point of death. And that's the only place he experienced that separation. Then he rose to life because he was perfectly righteous. And so he actually makes a way for us in payment of our separation. He makes a way for us to come back to God so that we can be with him. And then he ascended to heaven, and right now he is reigning. Do you know that Jesus is reigning right now? There's all this stuff happening in the world right now? Doesn't matter, Jesus is reigning. There's chaos in the Middle East? Doesn't matter, Jesus is reigning. If there's chaos in your life, it doesn't matter. Jesus is reigning right now, and he loves you, and his whole purpose is to bring you to be with God. And then he sends ambassadors of reconciliation, like Paul, who tells us to rather... He sends ambassadors of reconciliation to bring us back to God who say things like, train yourself for godliness. Trust in him. Give everything over to him. Receive the spirit, the presence of God. So the separation problem is solved. So we can just train ourselves for godliness, right? Sort of. There's a second problem. He solved the separation problem, which we don't have to earn. We just receive. Then we get the Spirit of God. You guys, I, I was thinking about this this week, and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to discipline myself to think about this more in the proper light. The Spirit of God lives in his people. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. How many of you right now are just like, going through life just like, I just want more. Like, I want more. I, need, I want more, whether, more money, more, whatever. I just, I just feel like this sucks. I want more. Jesus sends the Spirit of God to dwell in his people. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me and in you if you are his, if you've given your life to Jesus. The power of God is anybody else mind blown? Like, think about that. Meditate on that. The, the creative power of God. He created worlds out of nothing. Just me? Anyway. That sets up problem number two. The separation problem has been solved by Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The second problem, though, is to training ourselves for godliness. And I, I realize I really have the gift of encouragement here this morning, but <laughs> we don't have enough power to train ourselves for godliness. 
in and of ourselves, we don't have enough power. Have you tried before? Have you tried to read your Bible every day? How'd that go? Have you tried to pray? Have you tried to serve? (laughs) Amen, dear one. From the mouth of babes. And this is why we have to have childlike faith, amen? I could launch off into another sermon right now. Thank you and bless you, dear one. Yes, you've tried. Have you found that it doesn't work? Like, have you tried to control your anger? Have you tried to keep that tongue under wraps and it just doesn't work? And just like, oh man, Lord, I'm trying here, but I just, I can't get it. And some people just go, it must not work. I'm out. There's no power here. I was reading a church historian earlier this week. This is not in my notes. I was just reading a church historian earlier this week, and he, not too, too far in the past, but he was basically lamenting a largely powerless Christianity in the West. Why? Why is that? We do see some things. I think in some ways we've lost the West. In fact, a good friend of mine wrote a book on one of the New Testament epistles. The book says this. The title is, We've Lost, Now What? (laughs) The Lament of a Largely Powerless Christianity. Well, when we try and try and try to do our best and work our hardest, we just don't have enough power in ourselves to affect very much. We just don't have enough power. I love when, like, the atheist challenges the Christian and says, I won't go there, never mind. Oh, I don't want to keep you all day. There's just not enough power. Okay, so turn to John 15. We're going we're gonna, to, while you're turning there, there's three things that we have working against us according to Ephesians chapter 2. The first one is the world. We follow the course of the world. We live in a system that is not inclined toward us being with God. We live in a system that is inclined to lure us away from God and entice us with things of the world. Right? Commercials, that's what social media does, massively entices us with things of the world. So the world is working against us. And then there's the, 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 the system, the world system, and then there's the flesh. There's just us. There's, We've been recreated in the heart if we've, if we've given our lives to Jesus and received that from him, but there's an old person that we still have to put off. There's old habits. There's, old, there's, an, old, there's an old nature that tries to persuade us that we're still in chains. And so the flesh, you know, you want to get up early so you can read your Bible before work and pray. And don't, here's some advice, don't ever make a decision when your head is on the pillow you got to make that decision before your head hits the pillow. Because when your head's on the pillow, you're like, man, this is so nice. And you know, right? So that's the flesh just like militating against this idea of being with God and pursuing God. And then there's the devil. We do have an enemy. So we have, these, we have this enemy within. We have, or we have this uh, distraction within. We have distraction without. And then we actually have an enemy who wants to destroy you. He hates you. And the reason he hates you is because you're made in the image of God and he hates God. 
And he also knows that when God brings all of his people in and the end comes, Jesus comes back, that's it for him. He's done, finished, destroyed. So he knows if I can just waylay the mandate of the church and slow them down, maybe indefinitely, then I just delay my destruction indefinitely. He hates you. And he will put thoughts into your mind. Him and all of his minions put thoughts into your mind to try to sidetrack you, try to convince you that you're still in chains. So there's these three things that are distracting and side-railing and luring us away and enticing us to other things. This is why we need discipline. So we've got the separation issue dealt with, but we just our best efforts fail because we have a power problem. In John 15, 4 and 5, I'm cherry-picking parts of them here, but it says this, a branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So how how can Paul call us to train ourselves for godliness? How, How can Paul tell us to present ourselves approved before God? in 2 Timothy, how can Paul tell us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling? How can he do that? How could Paul do that? Well, because Paul knows something. Paul knows that the being like is closely tied to the being with. The being like is closely tied to the being with. Look at, look at John 15 here for a second. Verse 2. Every branch in me, this is Jesus speaking, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. He is referring to God, who's the vine dresser, right? So Paul knows that God is actually working on us. Like God is working on us too. When we unite ourselves to Jesus, we have fellowship with the triune God and the Father is actually working on us to prune away those things that shouldn't be there, to prune away those things that lure us away and entice us away. Look at verses four and five. Jesus says this, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, there it is, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's the context for that. So the vine produces fruit and the branches just hold the fruit. If you're the branches, all you got to do is hold the fruit that the vine is producing. And the only issue is whether we're connected to the vine or not. Is that encouraging? God is going to produce fruit in you if you're just connected to the vine. He's going to produce fruit. Do you guys want to produce fruit? You guys want to hear that well done, good and faithful servant when Jesus uh, gets back? Relax. Relax. The vine is what bears the fruit. And then verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, there's a clue. Ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. So we need to abide in Jesus. Abide means to remain in, to tarry. In other words, get close to and stay there. It's like a great big hug with someone that you really love. I bet you God is the best hugger ever. Just get in there and stay. That's what abiding is. And look at verse 8 here. 
sorry, verse 7, like, and my words abide in you. So we want his word to be, that's, that's, that's a clue to one of the spiritual disciplines. And why, okay? Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is amazing. Fruitfulness glorifies God. God actually wants you to bear fruit. He actually wants you to bear fruit. So tuck in there and stay there, knowing that God is actually working on you because he actually wants to produce fruit in you. This is mind-blowing. And then verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Probably the number one problem with people walking around today is they just don't feel loved enough. That drives, I do a lot of counseling, like that drives an absolute ton of pathologies in our society. I want love and nobody will love me enough. I can't get enough. God loves you enough. He'll pour it out on you enough. You got to tuck in there and stay. And verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So the whole keeping commandment thing is about being tucked in there and staying. Being filled with that love from God and letting him do that work in you all the time. And verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Okay, so... Now we're starting to touch discipline here for a second, and it's joyful. It's joyful when we are tucked in there and we're staying there. We're plugged into the vine and letting the, the life of the vine produce fruit in us. So the call to, dis- to discipline is a call to practice the presence of God by the power of God. The goal is an ever-increasing awareness of his presence and our relationship to him. If we're aware of his presence, but we don't think we have a relationship to him, that goes all kinds of bad places really quickly. But to understand that, we, that he loves us, we are united to him in Christ, and he wants to produce fruit. The key to being like Jesus, the key to, the, to all the disciplines, is to be with him. And so disciplining ourselves is actually about getting rid of the distractions in our life so that we make space to practice being with him. So Bible reading. Now we'll go through some disciplines here real quick and I'll wrap up. Bible reading. It's so that we tuck in and we hear and know what God says. We learn to recognize his voice. Do you know that every time you open the book, you're face to face with God? Tuck in, hear, and know what he says. Learn to recognize his voice. Study. Why do we study? So we can increase knowledge and see more of a picture of who God is and how he relates to us. Memorization. So that's we can keep the word close. We can chew on it. That provides nourishment. That's actually the word in you. Remember, the word is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. And John says he is the word made flesh. Okay? Meditation, what's that all about? Well, that's, that's practicing letting him speak, examining ourselves, letting God examine us. All done in proximity to him, in relationship with him. Prayers, practice speaking to him and then practice listening, asking him for things and then examining our lives to see how he's answering those prayers. Silence. How many of you practice silence? How many of you live with someone that needs to practice silence? <laughs> Just seeing if you're awake. Silence is about self-denial, getting rid of the talking, stopping talking so you can listen, get rid of the noise, get rid of the distractions so you can make space to converse 
with God, to, to meditate on Him, to listen to Him. Examination and confession, practicing humility, recognizing He is God, I am not. And then, and then positioning ourselves to just sit under the grace that comes in forgiveness, to actually practice the favor of God. Have you ever thought about that? Practicing the favor of God? We have favor with God, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done, because of who Jesus is. Do you practice that? Fasting. It's a practice of self-denial. I'm not letting the flesh run me. If you're somebody who gets hangry, you need to practice fasting. Because anger, that type of anger is not from God. That is selfish. Fasting helps us to practice self-denial. And it's actually transferable. If you struggle with anything else fleshly, fasting is good. Because we learn to say no to the flesh and we remember our dependence on the word. Thanksgiving, the discipline of gratitude. We're thanking God for him and for his blessings. And by the way, his blessings include discipline. When we think of blessings, we always think of what material things he gives us, the things I want that he's giving us. Do you know some of the greatest blessings that you've ever received are things he's not given you, that you really wanted, that would have destroyed you? It is a blessing that God knows better and that he did not give us those things. So thanksgiving puts us in that place. Fellowship, more self-denial. We get to practice love. We get to practice seeing Jesus in his body. Simplicity, just clearing up space, mental space, physical space, disconnecting from you know, all these different foci that take us in all kinds of different directions. Generosity, more self-denial. Remembering that God is a giver, not a grasper. That's what generosity is for. And it's not just about money. We always talk about money. And it's okay But in a world where we have so much more than the rest of the world, it's like, yeah, you know what? Here's some money, and now I feel good about myself. And there's so many other things that, that God wants to produce generosity in, in us. It's not just about money, so practice generosity. For those of you who don't like having people over, or don't like having people over spontaneously, find somebody who needs that and do it. Because God is not a grasper, he's a giver, and, and he will provide for you in that. Rest is self-denial. Workaholics, you're out of line. You're in trouble with God. You can't see him because you have another master. Practice rest. Delight in God's care for us. Rest is a provision of God for our good. Chastity, singles and marrieds. It's, it's a time of self-denial, a time to create space, to be with God, to focus on God. Celebration. Celebration is a spiritual discipline. Did you know that? Celebration is a spiritual discipline. How many of you like to celebrate? Okay, all right, all right. How many of you are going to be celebrating in the next two minutes when I'm done? Uh, this is, I, I'm... I'm sort of sorry, but not sorry. This stuff is very important, and we need to discipline ourselves. Uh, we need to discipline ourselves in um, these things. Uh, singing is a discipline. It's kind of our take-home theology if we're singing good stuff, and it's actually, it's actually a weapon in spiritual warfare. Uh, evangelism is another spiritual discipline. 
It creates dependence in us. It's a reminder of that he's actually worship, worthy of all worship, right? There's going to come a day when this entire earth, there will not be a single place where Jesus is not worshiped as he ought to be. Uh, and then communion, again, remembrance, fellowship. So these spiritual disciplines, it's, it's, it's about being with God. The spiritual disciplines are about being with God. Being like God comes from being with God. So I want to leave you with this illustration. It comes right from the Bible. If you guys want to look for it, you can find it in Luke chapter 10. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Let's just picture this. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about so many things. Hear this. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. So here's what happens. Jesus goes to have some food and fellowship at this woman's house. And she's running around. She's getting all the the foot washing bowls ready. And she's getting all of the food ready. And she notices that Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. And he's teaching her. And and she... The, the indignation rises up in her and she goes over and she says, Lord, to Jesus, my sister is not helping me. I'm getting all of this stuff ready for you and your friends who are about to show up. I'm doing all of this stuff. I'm running around. I'm working. I'm taking the kids to hockey tough in the Middle Eastern country in the first century, I grant you. I'm doing all of this stuff that's necessary and good, right? Food, hospitality. Tell her to help me. I think that describes the the Western church very, very well. Very well. And Jesus' answer is astonishing. Martha. Martha. You're so troubled and anxious. North America, you're so troubled and anxious. You want to get stuff done so everything's good and everything's perfect. Everything's professional and you look good. One thing is necessary. It's right there in red letters. One thing is necessary. Loved ones, we need to cultivate hearts, and this is what the spiritual disciplines are designed for. We need to cultivate our hearts to be content sitting at Jesus' feet. We need to cultivate our hearts to be content being with him. I'm not talking about in your prayer closet all day. When you wake up, when you go your way, when you do your thing, it's still a heart attitude of being with Jesus, okay? Because that's where we are imparted with his character and his power and his authority. 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much, God, for everything that you have done to bring us to you again. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the way. Thank you for being the truth. Thank you for being the life. Help us to recognize that in you as the way, the truth, and the life, we need to just sit and bask in your presence and let you do your work. Help us to recognize that that's something that we can live out every moment, whether we're at work. We can be basking in your presence, letting you do your thing in and through us. As we apply ourselves to our families, as we apply ourselves to the various different tasks that you've given to us, help us to recognize the metaphor in your word. We can sit at your feet and receive from you. We can receive power to be able to do what we need to do. We receive power to be okay with the things we can't control. We receive power to be okay with ourselves because you have spoken over us. Moses said, is it not in your going out with us that we are distinct from all the peoples of the earth? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would transform this place. I ask that you would transform us as a people, that we would understand that it is true. It is in your going with us. It is in your presence with us that we are distinct from all the peoples of the earth. So for those who are struggling right now, God, with insecurity, personal insecurity, would you minister to them, Holy Spirit, and show them that in your presence, our security is sure. You have more than enough love for, for all of us who struggle with those things. For those who find our, their identity in work and in achievement, accomplishment, uh, Lord, would you, would you minister to them? Our identity is well, the things of this earth become strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. And so would you draw us to just sit at your feet? Uh, Holy Spirit, as we, uh, as we go into 2024 and there's all kinds of resolutions and we're thankful, Lord, that we can set goals, uh, would, you, would, you shape, um, would you shape our commitments? God, would you stir everyone in this room to commit to uh, carving out space and time to remember you, to sit in your presence, to meditate on you, to let you transform us. Whom do we have in heaven but you, O oh God? And there's nothing on earth that we desire besides you. Would you do this thing, Holy Spirit? Please do this thing. The lamb who is slain is worthy to receive the full reward of his suffering. We just pray these things in Jesus' name for Jesus' glory. Amen.